All right, everybody, this is Stuart Smith. Greetings and welcome to Progressive Care's earnings call for the quarter ending June 30th, 2019. The company will also be providing a business update on this call today. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode, and this conference is being recorded. A recording of this live conference call will be available at smallcapvoice.com forward slash rxmd shortly after the call has been concluded. An archived version of the webcast will also be available at the progressive, excuse me, progressivecareus.com forward slash investor. Now, representing the company today is Sheetal Mars, CEO of Progressive Care Incorporated. But before we introduce her, I'd like to remind everyone that during this call, management's prepared remarks and statements may contain forward-looking statements, which are subject to risks and uncertainties, and management may make additional forward-looking statements during the Q&A session. These forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, and actual results may differ materially when used in this call. The words anticipate, believe, estimate, upcoming, plan, target, intend, and expect, and, sim- and similar expressions as they relate to Progressive Care Incorporated, its subsidiaries, or its management are intended to identify such forward-looking statements. Investors are cautioned that forward-looking statements involve risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from those anticipated by the company at this time. In addition, other risks are more fully described in RxMD's public filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, which can be reviewed at sec.gov. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to Ms. Sheetal Mars, CEO of Progressive Care Incorporated, ticker symbol RxMD. Sheetal, the call is yours. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. It's another great day to have an earnings call. Before I begin, I want to say a quick thank you to our team here. Um, We did the closing of the acquisition on June 1st, and, you know, they worked night and day and weekends and and put their blood, sweat, and tears into making sure we had um, sound financial statements on time. Uh, they they put in a lot of effort, and I want to say thank you to them because we run a really lean, tight ship on, on the administrative side of things. So I couldn't have gotten any of this done without them, and I, I thank them for, for that. Uh, I'm going to get into the financial statements. I'm going to go as quickly as I can because I want to allow as much time for for question and answer uh, session as much as possible today. Um, But the financial statements are very different from how they usually are, given that now FPRX is part of them. So I will try to be as clear as I can about splitting everything out so everybody can understand what everything means. So if you're looking at the balance sheet, we had – about um, $2.6 million in cash together. You'll see that you have cash restricted uh, on this. This is the first time we've ever had cash restricted. The reason for that is the $1 million that was released from escrow to pay for FPRX actually went into their FPRX bank account. So whatever was left after they took their their, some disbursement from that money um, was still sitting there as of June 30th. So that money is that eight hundred forty nine thousand is actually the property of, of FP, the former owners of FPRX. So we have that label there as cash restricted. Cash unrestricted includes all of the cash from um, from the FPRX bank accounts that that is not the for the benefit of the former owners. Farmco Farmco ten o two, which is the Farmco Palm Beach location, and Progressive Care. So you'll see one point eight million dollars there. That includes um, any monies received from from the financing that we did in in January and in June to do um, the the purchase of FPRX accounts receivable trade. That's pretty similar to every previous filing. Accounts receivable trade is only amounts 
that are accrued from insurance carriers and PBMs. If you notice, it's it's about 100% difference or 90% difference from from December 31st, 2018. Again, a lot of these differences that you're going to see in comparison to 2018 includes amounts receivable from the new acquisition FPR Act. So, so they had about um, $800,000 or $750,000 in accounts receivable from from FPRX, and then we had an increase in accounts receivable from Farmco 1002 because sales have increased in Farmco 1002. Inventory has gone up because, again, adding the inventory from FPRX and prepaid expenses. So there's a difference here. Prepaid expenses now includes amounts that have been escrowed from Farmco by our PSAO. And for those of you who don't understand what a PSAO is, a PSAO is a middleman between the pharmacy and um, prescription benefit managers who pay for prescriptions on behalf of the insurance company. They're the ones that hold the contract with each individual PBM, and we contract with a PSAO. So our PSAO has been escrowing certain amounts for for DIR fees, GER fees, BER fees, transaction costs, and, and things like that. And so any of those that are prepaid um, are there, and as they get invoiced and those amounts come out of their escrow account and paid to the PBM for those fees, then this um, this balance will go will fluctuate and go up and down for that. So that's a, that's something new there. Uh, typically, prepaid expenses in the past has has included um, just simply security deposits and things like and and prepaid insurance that we amortize over the year. So co- total assets are about. Uh, 5.8 million property, plant, and equipment. This includes the building. So 1.8 million of that is the building. We have cars. We have Script Pro. We have Parada. We have leasehold improvements. So we have about 2.2 million in property and, and equipment. Notice that's not that's not significantly different. Um, there's some depreciation that's not significantly different from the December 31st balance, which also included uh, the new building. In other assets, goodwill has changed significantly from from the December 2018 number. It adds about $3 million or $2.9 million in goodwill. Just so anybody is wondering how we came up with that $3 million number, it's about six times their, their EBITDA. Tra- the traditional trading value on a private business would be between four and seven. Because of their contracts, because of their, their location, we felt that six times was fair, and that means it'll take us um, at their current rate. If, if, if they don't grow at all, it would take us a little bit less than six years to recoup our investment and then and then make money from, from then on. So we feel like that was a, a fair valuation for what we got. And, and I'll go into Orlando and that business and how, they, how that benefits us later on in the call because I think it's significant. Going into current liabilities, again, big changes because of the addition of, of FTRX. Accounts payable went up by about, again, 90% because of the addition of accounts payable from FTRX and also increases in accounts payable from growth from Farmco and growth from, from Farmco 1002. In consideration payable on business acquisition, as of June 1st, um, there were some certain amounts owed to um, the former owners of FPRX. That includes the, the stock portion of that $3 million. That includes their, their cash balance, AR, net, AP, and inventory. So we've added all that up here and we've split it out. Instead of putting it all with accounts payable, we're putting that in consideration payable on business acquisition. The only thing left to be paid out to them is that AR, AP balance. As we're still finalizing the exact number, we know that we've accrued an amount on our balance sheet that is fairly close, but we're still ironing out different things like, like rebates and DIR fees and things like that that come in uh, 90 days after the fact and sometimes six months after the fact. So that, might, that number might change slightly um, when it's actually paid out. Notes payable will include the mortgage, and it's also going to include the Iliad and Chicago financing, as you see in derivative liabilities and note note payable net of current portion, all of this is going to add up to the the big notes that we have, one being the mortgage um, for the building and and the Iliad in Chicago that we took down in in January and June. And, and a lot of this was 
is being held in escrow to pay for the, the acquisition. Capital leases are equipment. That's going to be your Script Pro. That's going to be your TCG. That's going to be Parada and things like that. And unearned revenue for anybody joining the call for the first time, we have anything that we've billed and, and not yet delivered to the patient, which would be on a cutoff day like June 30th, we build a certain amount in revenue and didn't yet put it into the patient's hands because we were still out delivering. We take that out as, as a liability and it comes off our sale number in June 30th and then it gets reversed in the following quarter when those, those scripts actually end up in the hands of the patient. So you'll see that that 330, anything you see here in unearned revenue gets added to the sales of, of the next quarter. Moving on to our consolidated statement of operations. Much of this is, is straightforward. Our, our sales are up um, for the three months compared to the, last, to the last same quarter last year. It's up about $2 million. 1.4 of that is, is FPRX, and about 600000 of that is Farmco 1002. Keep in mind, Farmco 1002, about a year ago, was only doing about $100,000 in sales a month. It's doing $200,000, and we're very, getting very close to that, that 300, uh, a consistent $300,000 number. We think that before the end of the year, we're going to be in that, that over $300,000 a month number. And then going with, with Farmco, with um, FPRX, they're doing about $1.4 million in sales a month. And we know that with the efforts we have and how much we've grown and the presence we bring to the Orlando, Brevard County, we'll be able to increase sales for those Orlando locations. And I'll, I'll go into that a little bit further. Going into cost of sales, cost of sales was about $5.4 million for the three months ended June 30th, about $9.5 million for the six months ended June 30th. Um, one thing you'll notice that's a little bit different in presentation, and, and I think we've, we've adjusted these comparable numbers, is that bringing down these net sales numbers to account for PBM fees, we have over 200 and something thousand, 250,000 of, P, of PBM fees that goes to Humana and Optum and, and um, Express Scripts and Prime Therapeutics. There's, there's a half a dozen of them that take PBM fees off the, off the top of any reimbursement. And that now comes, because that's now written in the contract, not as a retroactive recruitment through DIR in the later fees, and that's the escrow. These are now written as part of the contract, so any contractual reimbursement rate is now lessened by any DER fees, GER fees, PBM fees, DIR fees, whatever, as long as it's in the contract. So that's net. that's now included in net sales. So we'll see that our gross profit margin, because it used to be, um, it used to include compounding and, and things that have higher margin. Now that those things are no longer covered, um, and we're having these additional fees that existed in 2019 and not in 2018, we're seeing the gross profits come down. Um, we do have opportunities to improve that with the net buying power of all four, uh, all four stores. Which, which purchased um, about $2 million a month or more from one wholesaler. We have the ability to negotiate these rates down now as a, as a combined entity, and that's what we're working on now with, with our, our primary wholesaler, how to bring down our cost of goods and improve that margin. And then also because we have all of these stores together, we're now looking at how we can improve our margins on the sales side as well, not only through performance, but also working with insurance carriers and seeing if there's ways, one, they can cover things at higher reimbursement rates, but also have us um, be part of their formulation and benefits to their members for providing some of the specialized services that we offer that, that benefit their plan as a whole. That debt expense has, has gone up a, um, a little bit over, over 2018. It's still not material. It's about $18,000. And again, that's, that's just primarily due to increased number in sales. That also includes any bad debts from, from FPRX. So it's not too bad on a percentage basis. We're still working to make sure that our insurance carriers pay for every single claim and resubmitting those claims and making sure that nothing falls through the cracks. And so we're continuing to move that forward. Stock-based compensation. I'm going to talk about this more later in the question and answer session, but you'll notice there's nothing there. 
there's no stock-based compensation planned for any current insiders of, of the of the company. That includes me. That includes the executives. That includes the board. Um, the only stock-based compensation that is currently planned for anybody who who works here would be for employees who have met that minimum threshold of, of full-time employment, who who are entitled to small bonuses in stock, so that they can benefit on on the growth and trajectory of the company. We believe that that helps us get the most out, out of our employees. But as far as executives and any major stock issuances to control shareholders or any anybody previously, those are no longer part of the equation. Selling in general administrative expenses. Farmco side is a little bit is is a little bit down, but again, you're going to add into this um, FPRX. And keep in mind that we only have one month of FPRX because we we closed on June 1st, so we don't have the full quarter in here. We only have one month of them, and we have a little bit of increase in on SDNA in Farmco 1002 again because they've they've grown pretty substantially, and we've done quite a bit of work in their facility to accommodate more growth. We spend um, probably about three full days a week marketing in that area and only marketing in that area while also trying to maintain the business in in the Miami-Dade and Broward counties. So while we're trying to expand across all the counties we service, we are heavily focused now going up the east coast of Florida. So that's that Palm Beach. That's that Brevard County and going into Orange County, which is Orlando. Change of fair value and derivatives, this is kind of a wash between that and interest expense. All that is associated with the, the financing arrangements. And so we have a, a net loss here. You're going to notice that the net loss is about $1 million for the, for the six months. Not all of that is, is cash loss. So we'll go into the non-GAAP, um, the cash basis um, numbers of for the, for the loss there. And again, a lot of that is directly attributable to the work we're doing to grow and for the change in reimbursement structure, the PBM fees, and, and the increasing in, in, in drug costs. So you're going to see a little bit of that there, but we do have a plan to mitigate a lot of this and go into 2020 on the, on the positive side and finish out the year strong with increasing sales and, and increasing profitability, but I'll go through all of that in the question and answer portion of of the call. In the equity section, notice that it hasn't changed. We didn't issue any of the stocks for the prior owners of FPRX until until July. So those that those shares went out. I I believe we have about four hundred and thirty six million shares total because ten million got in, issued, ten point four million got issued um, for the former owners and and then we had some residual shares that we need to pay for for the web development. But I think all of that is now now paid off and, and complete and we don't anticipate any more shares being issued to pay for the for the acquisition. Going into cash flows, again you're gonna see a little bit of of, of differences and some big increases and you're gonna see a big increase in in accounts payable and accrued liabilities from December eighteen to to now and I, that also includes FPRX and everything we owe for FPRX on on um, on the acquisition side, the unearned revenue, all these changes that you'll see there. So keep in mind when you're looking at this that this includes one month of FPRX and, and this change in some certain changes in the balance sheet. You have the restricted cash that comes off. So we have a net cash used for the the six months ended June. Uh, of about a hundred thousand, but we are well capitalized at this at this point, so we don't anticipate needing um, to change that in in the current period to pay for anything <laughs> to to pay for our, our standard operating practices. And, and we're also very pleased at the performance of FPRX because they are cash flow positive. Century Village is cash flow positive, and Farmco 1002 is within a few grand of being cash flow positive. So they're all very close. And Farmco only needs one or two major clinics to sign on. We just we did onboard a couple in June and July. And it, that's a transition process. So even though we have access to another 800 or 1,000 patients, we're, we're slowly bringing them on board because each one has to be spoken to individually. 
it doesn't work where we just get to have all the patients all at once. So we're working on that, and we think we're very close on, on Farmco in North Miami Beach. So those are the, the financial statements. You'll see that we have net cash increase of about um, $1.7 million. Again, that comes from the financing announced and the bank account, and that's what we've been using to capitalize the com- company and, and grow and put into marketing and advertising and everything else. So fundamentals, while we believe we're performing better than expected, given all the changes that occurred in January of 2019 with what the PBMs have done and, and what insurance carriers have done and the changes in Medicare and everything else, and I'll talk a lot, a lot about that in, in just a minute to give everybody a, an in-depth little bit of education on all the alphabet soup going on there. We know there's areas of improvement, and I want to now turn it over to the questions because I want to get into how we are going to improve and make sure we're strong going into 2020. Well, once again, everybody, thank you for taking the time to send in the questions in advance, and we will try to address as many of them as we can. Some of your questions have been combined, as always. I've mentioned this before in other calls with some other similar questions. In order to save time on the call, now, if for some reason your question was not addressed today, please send me a note, and we will try to get it answered in one of our follow-up interviews. Sheetal, here's the first question. Please explain to the listeners the reasoning behind the shareholder meeting as it is structured and the basic purpose for the increase in authorized shares. So this is a really fundamental question that I'm happy to address now, and I look forward to addressing in even more depth at the meeting itself. We initiated the financing with with Iliad and and Chicago, again, for our growth, for our trajectory. We know that organic growth alone will not be what sustains us in the future. We need to get bigger. We need to get stronger. We need to add more more companies under, under this umbrella. And the way to do that was to, was to finance that. And we had an agreement with Chicago that we thought was fair given the given the cash constraints that we face and, and the margin constraints that we face. So talking to them, they want, given how much exposure that they have in the company now with the $1 million that they issued and another $3 million that they put forward to, for us to buy FPRX, they want to have a reserve. So I know that there's some, been some discussion of, of whether we're going to use any of these shares to issue myself or issue Armin any any stock, and that's just not the case. We're not using this, these shares to issue board members any bonuses, not me, not, and not any of the executive staff any bonuses. This really, we want to make sure that we have enough for the required reserve of the contract and, and to facilitate the financing so we don't have any problems with our secured creditor. They've been rather fair with us in the last three years, you know, funding our our growth, and we've been working with them since 2015, 2016, so we know what we're dealing with there, and that's the reason for the amount. I know that we will, there's been some questions about why $500 million, why not $200 million, and again, that has to do with that resource. It, it depends upon the, the price of the stock. And, and where we are, while we believe that we should be valued at much higher, and then that would reduce the amount of stock we would need to issue to pay back these notes, um, the stock could could change, and we want to be prepared for that. So that's the reason for that number. I want to address another question that I know came in about discussions of, of reverse stock split. Again, it's not for me to promote or not promote or agree or disagree with a reverse stock split. My personal feelings on it and the company's feelings on it is that a reverse split should only be used for a reason. It should be used to go to NASDAQ. It should be used for the uplift. It should be used not just to increase the price of the stock and then dilute even further. We would rather know that if we're going to do a reverse, it's once and never again. And that's the reason why we haven't addressed reverse in prior conversations. That's why we're not addressing it here in the shareholder meeting, because we just don't believe it's time. We want to make sure 
that the shareholders and, and the board and the management all agree this is the time. We're all here. We're all in it together. We all vote for it, and we do it once, and, and we do it for the good of the company, and we don't, and we don't look back. So that's, that's why we're, we're not talking about reverse. But, it, again, it's not for me to oppose or propose or before or against. This is something we as shareholders, all of us must come together and make a decision together, not just one individual here. And it, when it comes to authorizing the new, the new stock, you know, our shareholders are a big part of that decision. I know it was built into the agreement, but we're all about transparency. And we also, we've never done a, a big shareholder meeting before. We've never gotten a chance to talk directly to our shareholders, and we want to have that opportunity. And we think that a decision like this should be done with all of them. It should be done with their consent. And we, we will hope that that's given at, at the time of the meeting. And, and we'll move forward as a stronger, better company that's, that's unified. So that's, that's really the purpose behind the shareholder meeting and the increase in the authorized shares. All right. Why do you think the stock price is where it is at? And can you tell us whether the company continues to see problems with short sellers or if any insiders have participated in the market activities? So one thing I want to address very quickly and, and definitively, no insider has cleared stock or has sold stock. I know I say that in every earnings call, and we kind of get these questions every every call, like what are the insiders doing? The insiders must be selling. The insiders must be doing this. First of all, if any insider does sell, it will be fully disclosed, and it will be fully disclosed in advance. Anybody who's an affiliate here, Anybody who, who's gotten stock and has access to um, non-public information will have to have a stock selling program. That stock selling program must be disclosed in advance, and every shareholder will be privy to that, and they'll know exactly who's selling and how much and when. But I can tell you, and, and if anybody's wondering, well, how would I know? It's because I have everybody's certificates. I don't, <laughs> I don't let anybody take them out. Not and not that anybody has asked, but everybody's certificates is here with me. Mine, Armin's, Jay's, the board—they don't have them in their possession. They ha they're saved in the safe here for, with us. So nobody's cleared them. They're not in anybody's brokerage accounts. They can't sell under my nose, even if they wanted to. Um, as far as as far as the the Chicago or Iliad diluting or purchasing. We've communicated with them. They've shown us basic proof that they are not participating in market activities. They're precluded from doing so by the terms of the agreement. They're not allowed to short. They're not allowed to buy. They're not allowed to do anything. Any shares that they would get from the, from the terms of the financing would be restricted. Their selling is restricted, and their selling would be disclosed. Again, we would disclose that to our shareholders just as we did before. We, we show every share we issue and every share they sold. So that's not part of it either. We're not seeing any, any short selling that is outside the range of normal. We're not seeing sales to deliver. We're not seeing a high volume of naked shorts, and that's reflected in the volume that we see. So we're not seeing a lot of a lot of negative market manipulation. I know that shareholders are building into um, the price of the stock, the Chicago, and everything else. But I would like for all of them to be forward thinking enough to know that they're not dealing with a mom and pop pharmacy. They're not dealing with an average pharmacy. We're more transparent than any OTC alternative reporting company I can even think of. And we're growing. We're innovating. We're doing a lot of things differently than than everybody else. So what you're investing in is you're investing in the future. And one of the things I say even to the to the people who work here and the people that are following us and the doctors and everything, what we believe here is one plus one plus one is not three. One plus one plus one is six. And that's how everybody in the insurance world looks at us. They're not looking at us for our bottom line. They're not looking at us for our profitability. They're looking at us for our lives under management. Every time we gain a person and that person gets their prescriptions from us year after year, we now become the primary point of control for that patient. So we have the ability to influence whether they stay a member of this plan or another plan. We have the ability to influence whether they're on this drug or that drug. So as we add acquisitions, the whole point of adding acquisitions is not just to add 
profitability, while that is a, a major purpose, it's not just for that. It's to add those relationships. It's to add those contracts. And it's, again, to add those, those prescription numbers and to add those patients under management. Every time we do that, it gives us more leverage with PBMs. It gives us more leverage with, with insurance carriers. It gives us more leverage with, with wholesalers. So we hope that everybody can start looking at there's some intangibles here that can't be valued on our balance sheet, but that's part of what you're investing in is that growth trajectory and the purpose and the point of what we're trying to build here. And we have a lot of things that we can put together to build. Um, as, as far as um, the, the price of the stock, obviously we believe it should be valued much more. And we hope that after these calls like these and, and all the work we've done on social media and all the work that we've done um, to be as good a pharmacy as we are, that we're going to start seeing that value reflected. And, and I will say thank you to all of our shareholders anyway, because they have supported us unconditionally for a really long time. We, we value that support and we continue to need that support. And so I want to say thank you to them because that's, we are where we are because of that. So that's, that's our opinion on that. All right, then. Has the company given any thought to attending investor conferences in the coming months? So we've attended investor conferences in the past, and that's allowed us to get, a, get some visibility. The problem that we face with the investor conferences is while we present to maybe 20 or 30 people and we have these one-on-one -on -one meetings with these family offices, and I apologize for the phone ringing in the background, we have these family offices that come to us and say, um, we're offering you this terms and that terms. A lot of the times the terms we're getting offered are worse than the ones that we see with Chicago. Um, we're not getting a lot of bank offers. We're not getting some of the things that I know that shareholders are wanting to see, the kind of terms they're wanting to see. Those are not what we're getting out of the investor conferences. What we're trying to think of now is that since we're not looking for certain types of financing where they're willing to fund our receivables, we're not looking or interested in any kind of um, financings like that. We're looking for long-term investors. We're looking for people who want to buy the stock and they want to stay in the stock for the next two, three, four, five years. To, to find those investors, we're, we're thinking that it might be more beneficial to us to devote our capital resources to doing broker roadshows by presenting to individual offices who have access to individual accredited investors who want to invest in a long-term strategy, who, who are looking for it for tax purposes or are looking for it for investment purposes, capital gains purposes, whatever their, their reasoning may be. But we're looking to enhance our shareholder base and have those, those shareholders be behind us through the long haul. And I think that's going to be, um, that's going to be the best, for us going forward, though we are not opposed, and we continue to talk to in investor conferences, whatever the opportunities come up. We just don't think it's beneficial for us to spend $10,000, $15,000 to go to New York and present to 10 people and get the same kind of deals that we've been getting so far. Um, but if the opportunity arises, we will entertain it. Very good. Uh, have you made any progress on completing the audited financial statements for FPRX and preparing for a future uplist? So we did not get access, full access and control over the accounting software and historical books until June 1st. Had we had more, more time with it, we probably would be further along, but we've actually made significant progress on, on redoing their books. I mean, we have... They were in a hybrid cash basis. You have to remember that even though they were doing $1.4 million in sales a month, they were private owners, and they ran their books the way private owners run their books. So we did our due diligence. We managed to do an analysis on, on an estimate of a cool and what that would look like for us, and that's how we made our purchase, um, purchase price and, and determined that. Now we're in the process of getting into the nitty-gritty of going back two years. Again, it's a significant acquisition. It, it nearly doubles our, our sales volume. So it's not like Farmco 1002, which wouldn't require two years of audits to go back to the SEC. We know that we're, we're in progress with it. We're working on those books. And as far as that, we want to put one foot in front of the other. We need to complete FTRX first 
we need to get those audited first and then look at the rest of the rest of the SEC requirements and the uplist requirements and the SEC registration requirements. We want to make sure that we don't put the cart before the horse, so to speak, and and do everything correctly. We know we need more independent board members. We know we need some SOX compliance. We have um, a number of people who work with us and, and help us who are able to get those underway, but I think the, the bulk of the work is going to be in the audit, and we need to focus on that first and do that right, do the S1, and then get the rest of the stuff ready for, for uplift. But we're still looking like 2020, and we knew we knew that. I know that we wanted to do 2019, but the opportunity for the acquisition came up, and we would not have been able to complete that acquisition had we been SEC registered. Um, they would not have allowed us to, to do the audit before the acquisition, which would have been required. So we, we believe we made the right decision in, in delaying it just for, for the year to get this acquisition under our belt because it's a big change and it's, it's going to be, it's going to mean a lot of improvement for the company. All right. Can you discuss the plans for expansion? So I know that we've gotten a lot of questions, and I I have the list in front of me, and I want to make sure I hit all of them. If I do miss your question about expansion specifically, please send Stuart a note so that I can address it in the future. So I'm going to talk about each uh, each opportunity separately. Let's talk first about about North Miami Beach, Dave. That's our our primary location. That's the one that does 25,000 to 28,000 prescriptions a month. Um, our expansion opportunities, we have a number of them with 340B. We did sign a new contract with 340B. Um, all of the contracts that we've signed in the last six to eight months on 340B have all been at or above market rate on, on 340B services. Again, the reason we would get above market rate on 340B services is because we provide additional compliance and accounting. We do have two legacy uh, contracts that we're still servicing, and, it, and the reason we still service them is because we're so heavily involved in that community. This is such a high-risk population. Many of the patients that they service are, are indigent, are impoverished, are homeless, and so we feel it is our, our duty, not just as a company, but as stewards of our community, to continue to work with those nonprofit organizations to reach these high-risk populations. But every, every new contract has been at, at a greater um, percentage basis, and we're working to expand those contracts, and we're working to make sure that we get um, benefits out of those contracts. So you'll see 340B business go up. The newest contract we just signed, um, they already are talking about expansion plans, and they want us to be part of it as they go for, further north into Orlando, into Brevard, into Tallahassee and Jacksonville. So we're now working on that partnership with them to see how it would fit and how the contract would work as we go further north and whether we need uh, a kiosk or something like that. So that's 901 on top of the basics of getting new patients and getting new new clinics. As you see, we're very active on social media. We've improved our, our PharmCo, our Progressive Care, our, our Twitter our Facebook, our LinkedIn, our Instagram, all of that stuff, and I know it sounds very cliche, but all that stuff kind of matters because every time we walk into a doctor's office, it's a lot easier for us to convince them that we're a legitimate pharmacy and not a fly-by-night because we have a presence, because we have brand recognition. So that's why we put a great deal of effort into that. We have also the TV and the radio and, and advertising and, and, and Google ads and all of that. So we're working on all of the expansion on 901 in Miami-Dade and Broward County. Palm Beach is, as I said before, we're focused very heavily three days a week just on working on Palm Beach um, facilities. We're going not just to regular doctor's offices. We're going to large-scale MSOs. In Palm Beach, there, isn't a lot, there aren't a lot of pharmacies, I call them. There aren't a lot of pharmacies who focus on adherence, that focus on measures, that focus on HEDIS and MACRA and MIPS and all of that. When we walk into a doctor's office and we tell them the same words that they know, they're surprised, they're shocked, they want to work with us. So it's just a matter of hitting them one by one by one. And I know that's a slow go, 
but it's the lowest cost of customer acquisition. We, we have worked with, so again, social media and, and advertising and things on a broad-based, direct-to-patient basis, but the cost of customer acquisition is very high. And, and the success rate is very low. Whereas if we market directly to these doctor's offices, the ability to get on board a clinic that has 800, 1,000, 2,000 patients in the full MSO is a lot easier, and it takes only a couple of months to get them on board as opposed to onboarding one patient at a time. So that's, that's Farmco Palm Beach. And, again, you're seeing that in the sales. We're seeing 200, 230, 250, 300 starting to pop into our, our sales, and that's a lot because of the marketing there. And they only need a, a consistent $300,000 in, in net revenue after PBM fees to be cash flow positive and, and, and profitable, more importantly. So that's Palm Beach. Orlando. Orlando, most of the FTRX's business is located in the greater Broward County and Orlando. We believe that because it was a private business and, and they were operating under, under the terms of what private businesses do, they weren't putting a lot of effort into marketing, we know that there are a lot of patients that used to use FPRX, and there are a lot of doctors that are no longer affiliated with their main MSO, no longer affiliated with their main physician practices that have gone off and you know, done their own clinics and done their own private practices, that we now are going to each one of them. We're putting a great deal of effort into expanding into Orlando. I know there was a question about 340B in clinics, specifically with Orlando. Our, our 340B business, we know that all of our entities have facilities in Orlando, have facilities in Palm Beach, and we're going to each of them and asking them, hey, add our other locations to our um, to Harissa, which is the online web portal, to be allowed to service those facilities from these new locations without adding additional contracts. So we are working on getting 340B up and running with, with Orlando. One of the things that is really promising with Orlando is we're allowed to go in that I-4 corridor. So we're talking about St. Petersburg, Tampa. We're talking about Daytona and Titusville on the other side. With Brevard County, which is Daytona and Titusville, we believe that we, we have opportunities there. There was a large MSO that we work with down here that also has facilities in Orlando and Brevard, and we already have our marketing team up doing presentations with all of those doctors in Brevard, and we believe we're going to start getting prescriptions from Brevard County soon that we can deliver from Orlando. So start seeing new physicians' offices, new clients, new long-term care facilities, all of that coming on board for the Orlando and Davy locations. And we're going to try as much as possible to send any business where it makes sense to save on those economies there, where where the Davy and Orlando locations can service them for, for cheaper than, the, than our Palm Beach or Miami location. So you'll see some shifting around of, of prescriptions where we might send some of our prescriptions to Davy and they might send some, some of their Miami Dade prescriptions to us. So it won't be always the same mix of prescriptions. We're working to optimize that so we can lower our costs. I know that we've um, done some, some talk recently about Georgia. I was, I was up in Georgia not that long ago. There are phenomenal opportunities in Georgia because, again, hospitals, physicians' offices, small and large-scale clinics don't have the access to pharmacies who do what we do. Because of our, our board member, Jervis Hopp, who, who's located in Atlanta, he has been instrumental in bringing us some opportunities, and that's why we're, we've been traveling to, to Georgia and expect to travel there some more. Um, we have an opportunity we're working on now, but as you know, especially I, I relate this to dating. It takes a long time to get married, and we're working on on all the logistics and all the communications that need to be in place for an acquisition in, in Georgia. So it's not a, a one-meeting kind of deal. So we were up there recently. We're going to go back, and we're going we're gonna to try to leverage these, these community relationships and, and get into Georgia. One other benefit of Georgia is their payer models, are, are much better. 
their their reimbursements are better, their cost of goods is better. So the more we expand, and I'll, I'll say this uh, to close out this question, the more we expand, the more we acquire, the further north we go outside of that that hot zone of Miami-Dade, the better it is for us. So as you're looking at us, and I know you're looking at fundamentals and you're looking at profitability, understand that sometimes it's important that we spend a little money now to get us in a position to be strong and sustained for the future. That means 2020, 2021, and onwards, because we owe a lot to our shareholders and we need to make sure we stick around. So expansion is very important. And I think I've covered all the the major areas. Again, if I missed anything, just let Stuart know. All right. Can you give us an update on the work you have done with CBD, telepharmacy, and Discharge RX? I'm going to talk about in in a in a different order. We have um, we have. I'll start with telepharmacy. Telepharmacy. We kind of pioneered, and it's now getting mainstream attention. In the Board of Pharmacy in Florida, it's getting mainstream attention by insurance companies. It didn't exist before we started talking about it. But now their start, plans are starting to add this as a benefit to their members. And boards of pharmacy are starting to say this might be an opportunity to provide a better standard of care for those who live in rural communities. And who better to promote that and spearhead that than us? Because we pioneered what it means to do telepharmacy, and what it is designed to do. So we are communicating with the Board of Pharmacy about satellite locations that offer virtual telepharmacy assistance. So you can walk in to a small kiosk, have a virtual conversation with the pharmacist, have your prescriptions delivered there from one of our four other locations without having to have a physical presence and be able to fill scripts on site. They can still get consultation. They can still get care. They can still get prescriptions either that same day or the next day because we, we specialize in same day and next day delivery. So as I said before when we were talking about 340B, because we have telepharmacy, we have that opportunity to add a satellite location or a virtual kiosk location through the Board of Pharmacy in places like Jacksonville, in places like Tallahassee, and into the Panhandle, and some of these rural areas in between here in Orlando and Orlando further north to start getting those patients as well. And a lot of that wouldn't be possible without, um, the, without the regulations being in place that now finally recognize what telepharmacy is. And we're still working on, on kiosk sizes and, and the, the physical footprint of, of telepharmacy, but remember also that telepharmacy integrates very well with Discharge RX. And Discharge RX, we we had a lot of interest on Discharge RX in Georgia, and we're seeing a lot of interest on Discharge RX in Orlando. Nobody does uh, medication reconciliation. Patients are just waiting to be discharged. Our, our iPads and our platform can not only do transitional med, but through that telepharmacy, be able to do medication reconciliation, medication coaching and counseling and everything else, and optimize what the, the discharging hospitalist is prescribing. So we, we do see some indications of, of use and some interest there. The one thing I will tell you about getting into a hospital relationship, especially a large hospital that services thousands and thousands of patients a year, they operate on strict budget years. So they either have one year or two years. So even though we come in, we make a great presentation, they're interested, they want to get started, they say, okay, let's get started 2020. They don't say let's get started now because they have to then do what they, they have to go to their boards and they have to then build that into their budget. So we have bought Discharge RX to a number of opportunities and we're working with their staff and their boards to do those presentations a number of times and work out the logistics of how that works ensuring patient choice and all the their regulations and our regulations are met. With, with CBD, CBD is kind of a hairy, uh, hairy topic in Florida. We have three or four CBD brands on our shelves. We are actively promoting our expertise in CBD. We're, we're telling patients, 
you know, what they're getting CBD from all over the place. They're buying it online. They're buying it from, from vape shops. They're buying it from wherever. And we're telling them, bring it to us. Show us a picture. Show us a brand. Because as a pharmacy, we can, um, we, we can tell whether it's the right consistency. We can tell whether there's CBD even in it. Keep in mind, if any of listeners are using CBD, a lot of times you're getting olive oil. And very little CBD, no, not enough for any kind of therapeutic use. So he, any of you guys listening too, if you want to call us, send us what you're what you're using. Let us look at it at least and tell you if you're getting a quality product. We have what we believe are four brands of quality products where we've evaluated the certificate of authenticity of, of, of analysis, where we've evaluated where they grow, how to process everything. Our compounding pharmacist is very strict, no GMOs. No other additives. It's the purest stuff you can get. It's all locally sourced. It's all grown in the U.S. It's all processed in the U.S. And she follows it from seed to the pharmacy. So we are promoting our, our expertise in CBD, and we are expanding our ability to sell CBD legally. The FDA, the DEA, the state of Florida has very strict rules. And I know that, that there's a farm bill. I know that hemp is legal. But again, we have in the state of Florida and even with the DEA, they're not making a distinction between male and female cannabis sativa L. If cannabis sativa L is hemp, it also is marijuana. The female produces buds, the male does not. So the male plant is hemp. That's what you can get CBD out of. So because they're not making this concrete distinction, between the two in how they word it, it makes it very difficult for us to access the plant and sell the plant legally because we're regulated by the DEA, we're regulated by the FDA, we're regulated by the Board of Pharmacy, we're regulated by everybody. And Florida has said that, and Florida and the FDA have said they don't want CBD introduced into the food supply. So that means no edibles, no beverages, anything like that. And, and not that we would want to promote those things anyway, also because the therapeutic benefits are very small. But for our patients, we want to want to have the best product. We are in talks with a CBD manufacturer that is local, where we can control it. And the benefit of having a CBD manufacturer that is local and the, and the plant is grown locally, uh, at least within the state boundaries of Florida, is we don't have to deal with interstate laws. And, and that helps us a little bit also with, with, the, with the regulations. Keep in mind that we have to do this very carefully. We have to do this by the book. We have to make sure we don't mess this up and rush to market with our with our product because we can lose our bank relationships, we can lose our credit facilities, and we can be shut down by the DEA, the FDA. We can be shut down in the state of Florida for the pharmacy. So we have a lot at stake to risk by just being by being cavalier with how we do CBD. But that being said, we do have products on the shelf. We are working with our patients. We are trying to sell it legally. And, and we're trying to make sure that, that everybody that gets CBD products, whether from us or somebody else, is getting the right stuff. All right. Well, there's a lot of discussion about profitability and the plans for 2020. Please talk about what the company plans to do to improve the fundamentals and prepare for future growth. And this also happens to be our final question for the call today, Sheetal. All right, so this is this is my favorite question because this is all about about the future. I know that we get a lot of a lot of comments, especially on our social media, and a lot of things um, coming into questions for for our investor relations people about our profitability. We are actively working on our profitability. We are trying to find ways to cut costs. We are trying to find ways to improve our efficiency. We are trying to find ways to improve our, our performance, to be a better pharmacy, to do all of those things, to, to reduce the cost of our, our, our inputs, our drugs, our bags, our packaging, everything. That being said, we want all of our listeners and all of our shareholders to, to understand that our pricing isn't dictated by us, that we don't have control over the PBMs. Right now, um, you're looking at, at PBMs who are bidding insurance companies below cost of brand. So they're telling the insurance company, 
set your budget at, and I'm going to make up a number here, set your budget at $10 million for pharmacy benefits, keeping in mind that they know that they're going to pay, pay pharmacies below cost for brand name medication. They're going to pay pharmacies below cost for, for generics. So, and we don't get control over that. We don't get to say, hey, no. We don't, and especially with Medicare, if we have a Medicare contract, we are contractually obligated to support and supply prescribed medications to Medicare patients. That's how our business works, and that's how every pharmacy works. So if you're looking at us saying, why are we like that? We're not the ones like that. We're like that. Every pharmacy that you touch is like that. So if you get medication from from an independent, and I, I strongly suggest that anybody get their medications from an independent, shake that pharmacist's hand because they're covering and subsidizing your pharmacy benefits. And if you're getting diabetic insulin, chances are they had to pay some money to give you that insulin. They're not getting paid the cost that it, it costs to buy it from the wholesaler. If it costs $100, they're getting paid 90 to give it to you. And so that means we had to pay $10 just to give it to you. And HIV is the same way. We're subsidizing the, the cost of care because PBMs are underbidding their, their pharmacy benefits. And we think that's to the detriment of everybody. Um, but profitability, we're not one of those to, to go and stand in the rain and cry. That's not how we do things. We go and push hard as far as we can. We, our performance, if you look at our performance metrics and you look at our, our adherence, you're looking at numbers of 98%. You're not looking at, at a pharmacy that says, la-di-da, let's just do whatever we feel like it. We're managing patients. We're doing our MTMs. We were ranked, what, sixth in, in the nation in MTMs recently. We're actively asking for cases. We don't have enough MTM cases from, from the PBMs. We're trying to streamline everybody. So that all adds money to our bottom line. We believe that the path forward for us is to diversify. We believe very fundamentally in what we do as a pharmacy. We believe in patient care. We believe in servicing them. We believe no patient should be turned away because they can't afford a medication. We believe no patient should be turned away because the pharmacist is not getting reimbursed appropriately. We want to make sure patients get their meds because it's important. That being said, we want to also find ways that insulate us from the whims of insurance. And I do call it win because today they decide they like something, they like it, tomorrow they don't, and it's cut off immediately. As you saw with compounding, we believe wholeheartedly in compounding. We believe it benefits patients. We have hundreds of testimonials where, where patients are saying this saved their life. This saved everything that they, their, their quality of life, their ability to move, their ability to walk. We still dispense it, even though insurance has said they will no longer cover and we're fighting with insurance, and we're trying to get it covered, and we're, we're forcing the issue. But the one thing with compounding that we focused on is cash-based business. So we're now focusing on amniotic fluid. We're focusing on cash-based business. We're talking about direct to physician's offices, direct to patient cash business. We're talking about CBD. We're talking about hospital programs. And then working with the PBM, especially ones that provide us opportunities to, to leverage our performance, like, like Humana, which is one of the best when it comes to DIRPs, because at least we have an opportunity to get it back. DIRPs are massively high, but we have the opportunity to get it back, and they're, they're the only ones that do that. But go to places like Humana and say, look, we're a five-star pharmacy, look at what benefits we provide to your members, and then look at what we're saving you and your plan as a whole, because we've managed the adherence. We've done research here that says for every adherent patient we have, we're saving the system, that's Medicare and the commercial system, between $1,600 and $3,200 per patient. Every time your, your patient is adherent on hypertension, that's preventing a cardiac incident where they're going into the ER and costing 30 grand. So by saving on average $3,200, Hypertension medicine costs nothing. We're saving the plan a lot of money. So they're being penny-wise and pound-foolish by nickel and diming the pharmacy. We believe that we can go with all these lives under management. The more we have, the bigger we get, not just the profitability, but the bigger we are, the more lives we manage. And I keep saying that. 
the more we can go to the PBMs and say, you need to treat our pharmacy differently. And they do that, but only for big pharmacies. They don't do it for little ones that do 10,000 scripts a month. They don't care. So we have to do 50,000. We have to do 100,000 prescriptions. And then we can negotiate and write our own tickets because they, then they need us. So that's what we're looking at on cash base. We're looking at that business to business. We're looking at, at discharge direct, and we're looking at monetizing all that. I know we got a question about licensing. One of the reasons we developed telepharmacy and telepharmacy app and, and why we're working so hard to integrate that with our website and, and the kiosk is the ability to license that ability to other pharmacies and, and to bigger chains and to other technological companies who need this access. The one thing about telepharmacy that we do is if we can license this to your mail order, to these other mail order pharmacies that don't have any face-to-face interaction with the patient, they need a platform to do that. We can supply that. So licensing was part of the, the plan when developing telepharmacy. So for anybody asking what's the plans for profitable, that's the plan. The plan is to add more prescriptions. The plan is to grow like bank gangbusters in Orlando in Brevard, in Tallahassee, in in Georgia, wherever we may go, in Palm Beach especially, add all that profitability together to become a large pharmacy. We need more lives under management. We need to keep pursuing that goal. Um, Going into 2020, one of the big changes for 2020 is going to be the move of Farmco in North Miami Beach to the building. That's going to save us a lot of money. One of the things that we deal with now is we're dealing with a $19,000 lease payment. That lease goes up every year. When that expires in 2020 and they've come under, come into the, bu- the building and we're able to build out this building to do 50,000, 100,000 scripts and shifts overnight here, we only pay $11,500 a month to facilitate that here through the mortgage and we have this asset and we're, we're putting equity into an asset instead of paying a lease that goes nowhere. So you're going to see some savings in 2020 as we eliminate Davy expenses where we don't need another location there. We're going to try to consolidate and re- re- eliminate the duplications and increase that efficiency. If it costs us $6 a script to process a prescription today in just labor costs, and, and packaging costs, by putting all 50,000 scripts, or it, maybe not Palm Beach, but all of Davie's scripts and, and North Miami Beach's scripts in one place, we're talking about 40,000 maybe, all of those scripts in one place, we can bring that cost down to $4 or $3. And we're looking at automation systems that will allow us to reduce our labor costs and increase the speed at which we can fill a, fill a prescription and the accuracy as well. So we'll be able to have the same accuracy and, and programs as any of the big best uh, central fill pharmacies out there. And we'll be able to offer central fill capability to other pharmacies looking to grow. So that's our 2020 outlook. We know that we're going to probably add another location in 2020. We're working on where and we're working on how, whether that's a satellite or a full new built out brick and mortar. We know that there will be one more coming in 2020 as we negotiate either an acquisition or, or something where we go, go it alone. Um, but that's all to our benefit. Key, I want everyone to key into this idea that the bigger we get, the more prescriptions we do, the more patients we manage, the more ability we have to fight back against what's going on in the insurance world and fight back against um, these, these recoupments and these reimbursements and the, and the formulary contraction and all of that. And, yes, I know there was another question about whether we're looking at acquisitions outside of the pharmacy space, and the answer is absolutely. We're looking at opportunities where we can get into other businesses that don't have the same, same constraints as we do, and we think we're, we're looking at things that, mesh well with the pharmacy business. Again, we want to stick with core competencies. We don't want to pick something that we don't understand. We want to make sure that whatever we choose, if we choose to go outside of of the pharmacy business, it integrates well with the pharmacy business. So 
that's what we're, we're moving towards, and that's our 2020 outlook. And we think it's really bright, and it's really great. And 2020, we have a full year of FTRX, so we're talking about $40 million in sales. And we're talking about um, 50,000 prescriptions a month. So we are, I think we're delivering on everything that we've ever told our shareholders we would deliver on. And I think that that hopefully in time, because we are so dedicated to transparency, we are so dedicated to growth, and are so dedicated to the truth and delivering for our shareholders, that the stock price will catch up and every, everybody will start to see the true value of this enterprise. Well, thank you for that, Sheetle, and thank you once again, listeners and shareholders and uh, potential investors, all of whom sent in questions for this call to make it complete. I want to thank everybody for their time listening to the call today. And once again, the call will be available at smallcapvoice.com and as well at the progressivecareus.com website as well. Thank you for joining us on the call today. <laughs> 